All right, Rabbi good morning, good morning. Let us begin. Baruch Hashem, a beautiful, beautiful daf ahead of us today. I want to begin by thanking our sponsors, to thank our Tamil sponsors for the month of Av, to thank Paul and Kathy Pollock for dedicating the Shir, the Shir, the Shir, this month in honor of their grandchildren. Tikva Esther Simcha Adigayam May they grow up to become the best version of themselves. To thank our week of learning sponsors, Bill and Razi Eskin, Lezecha Nishmas, Bill's father, Mordechai Ben David, and Razi's mother, Sivya Bas Moshe Aaron. To thank the Dafyomi Chavra for dedicating the Shir this week in the Schos of Arafua Shalema for Yehuda Ben Michal. We hope that he, together with Kol Chole Yisrael, will have a complete and enduring Rafua. And we'll see with that, let us begin with a beautiful, beautiful daf ahead of us today. Um, sorry, there's some technical difficulties over here, but we're going to be all right. So, we'll say, so we left off today's daf is Chav Zayin 27. And we are picking up Amir Hashem on Chav Vav Amidbeis 26b at the Mishnah. So the Mishnah says as follows. Actually, we began this yesterday, but we'll, we'll get a little bit more in-depth into it today. So we'll say, so the, the Mishnah says as follows. If a woman was taken captive by Gentile captors, so we'll say, what's the concern? Because, so we, we know that in general, that in general, we, the halacha assumes that if a woman is taken captive, she is violated by her captors. The concern is that at a certain point in time, does she submit willingly to her captors? The problem with that, of course, is that could be tantamount to adultery, and therefore halacha lamaisa could render her prohibited to her husband. That's the, that's the underlying concern in this. So the Gemara says, it depends what she was taken, the Mishnah says, if at the end of the day she was taken captive for financial reasons, to extort money, then she is mutara, she is permitted to her husband. Because the assumption is that if she is kidnapped because of monetary purposes, her captors will not abuse her. However, However, again, if she's taken captive because of some type of capital reason, then in other words, in the we'll see what that means in the Gemara, look at Rashi. Rashi says over here, first of all, um, Rashi says, Because they're concerned, the captors could be concerned that Allah said they abuse her, that they'll lose the ability to collect the money, therefore they don't abuse her. However, Rashi says, So Rashi explains that Nefashis means, let's say she was judged to die. Let's say she was taken captive either because of a capital offense that she had committed or because of what her husband had committed. Therefore, there's no concern about abusing her. And therefore, we have to assume that she was violated. And then again, over time, the concern is that she may have submitted willingly. Therefore, again, she becomes prohibited to her husband. So let's qualify this halacha. Amar of Shmuel Barad, Barad Yitzchok Amar Lo when do we say that if she's taken captive for monetary purposes, that we could assume that her captives did not abuse her? That's in a situation where literally, the hand of the Jewish people is strong. In other words, we're talking about a situation where people respect the Jewish people. However, but if halacha lemaisa again, Rashi says over here, she had yisrael tekifa ala odei kohavim. The yireim laso shelokidim shema yafsidu mamonam. That is both his fascinating qualification. So Rav essentially says, when do we assume that if a woman is taken captive for monetary purposes that she's not abused by her captors? That's only where there is some element of fear that the Gentile captors have from the Jews or of the Jews, I should say. But halacha lemaisa. If you have a situation of But if ultimately, again, the Gentile captors have no fear of the Jews, in other words, the Gentile population is in absolute control, then Then in that case, even if she's taken captive because of monetary purposes, we assume that her captors abused her. Fascinating distinction. So Masav Rava, so Rava raised the question, both testified. Abbas Yisrael 
Rabbi what does Horhana mean? Rashi says, Nismashkina. Now, this is actually an interesting case of a Jewish woman taken, seized as collateral. So, Rabbi say, it appears that what happened over here is someone collateralized this woman. So, what ended up happening over here is whoever it was that collateralized her defaulted on the loan, and she was literally seized. This woman, this Jewish woman, was seized as collateral. So what's the Gemara says? So that, that's the story. She was seized in Ashkelon, and ultimately, again, her family distanced themselves from her. They distanced themselves from her. Now, I will say that, and at the end of the day, at the end of the day, this appears. If you look at Rashi over here, Rashi, actually not yet, not yet. So I will say. So the idea over here is now: Why did they distance themselves from her? They distanced themselves because they assumed that she was violated by her captors and again had this concern that perhaps she submitted willingly. Now what happened? Another part of the story. And now she had witnesses who testified that she was never alone with her captors and therefore again by extension was never, was never violated by her captors. Now the Chacham said to the family, if you believe that she was collateralized, right, that she was seized as collateral, then you should believe the witnesses that she was never secluded and never violated. And if you don't believe that she was not, that she, if you, excuse me, if you don't believe the witnesses, that ultimately, again, that she wasn't alone and that she wasn't violated, do not believe that she was collateralized as well. So in other words, I will say, what the Chacham were saying to the family was, again, either believe everything or believe nothing. In other words, if you're going to believe that she was collateralized, then, t- then all was seized as collateral, then believe the witnesses that she was never violated. But Allah, if you're not going to believe the witnesses that she wasn't violated, then you shouldn't believe that she was seized as collateral as well. In other words, which was the Chacham's way of saying, you absolutely should believe what the witnesses are saying. Now, what's the important part for our story in this? Now, Ashkelon, Rashi says over here, was a Philistine city. And it historically was a city that was not controlled by the Jewish population. So, so here you have Ashkelon as an example of a city where the Gentiles are in charge of themselves. Therefore, there's no fear of the Jews. And yet what? The Katani Tap of Chavzayim, the Katani Horhana in Nechbisha Lo. So I will say, interestingly enough, interestingly enough, it sounds like the problem in this case was because the woman was seized as collateral. Look at Rashi, Tap Rashi and Chavzayim, Horhana, Rashi says, Demidas, the Chavan Diegias Manvalo Niftis, Harehisha of the Kohavan Bedinehem, Mishun Hachiba in a Edem Edenosha being taken as collateral is different than what? Than being taken captive. Because again, which is a fascinating idea of collateralizing a person, but when you seize something as collateral, say who owns that object? Who owns that object? The creditor. So it could very well be that in the case of being seized as collateral, that's where you need the edos. But say we could infer from here, it's only because of the case of collateral that you required edos. But in a case, perhaps, of being taken captive, perhaps ultimately, again, because it's for monetary purposes, we would assume she wasn't violated, even though what? Even though what? This was a city where there was no Gentile fear of Jews. To which the Gemara says, no. Lo, hua dinafilu nechbesha. Jews is not necessarily, it would be the same halacha, even if she was taken captive for monetary purposes. It just happens to me, this is how the story unfolded. So the Gemara is just saying, don't read into this story about Dafka being taken as collateral but not being taken captive. No, the story was that she was taken as collateral. That was, that was the Maisa. But it could very well be that the same halacha would have applied had she been taken captive. And I will say, therefore, this proves Rav, or, or it doesn't disprove Rav's assertion, which is that when the Mishnah says that if a woman is taken captive because of monetary issues, because of monetary issues, that we assume that she was not violated by her captors. When is that? When is that? Only in a situation where the Gentile captors were fearful of the Jews. In other words, there was some level of Jewish autonomy in that area. 
But if there's no level of Jewish autonomy, so Gentiles have no fear of Jews, then even if she's taken captive for monetary purposes, I still have to assume that what? She was violated by her captors. Incredible. So the Imar goes weiter. Ike de Amri, so we'll say an alternate, an alternate version of this. Ike de Amri, Amar Rava, Af Anan Nami Tanina. Rava said, we also learn this. Hey, Rabbi Yossi Akon, Rabbi Zechari ben Akazov, Abbas Yisrael, Shehur HaNaba Ashkelon, the Rabbi Yossi Akon, Rabbi Zechari ben Akazov, they testified about a Jewish woman who was taken as collateral in Ashkelon, Berichah Kamenei Mishpachta, and her family distanced themselves from her. They will say, by the way, it's actually interesting that you'll ask yourself, why would the family distance themselves from her? It sounds so terrible. Rashi seems to understand that the case in question over here is where the woman borrowed the money and she collateralized herself. In other words, she did this to herself. So her family is like a shtigal frustrated with her about making poor decisions. So again, I don't know that that justifies a family distancing themselves from a family member in need, but Lamaisa perhaps gives a bit more context in any event. So what happened? And witnesses testified that she was never alone and she was never violated. And what happened? The Chacham said to the family, If you believe the witnesses, right? If you, I should say, if you believe that she was collateralized, then believe the witnesses that ultimately she was not alone and not violated. And if you don't believe that she was not alone and she wasn't defiled, don't believe that she was taken as collateral as well. In other words, the Chachamim are saying to the family, I don't understand why you're selectively believing information. Either believe all of the information at hand, and all of the information is what? All the information is what? She was seized as collateral, and what? She wasn't alone and she wasn't violated. Or believe none of the information, but why are you selectively believing information? I, the Gemara, well, says the same story, same story, it's presented a little bit differently. I have a Ashkelon, the Ayyidei Mamanu, but I will say the case in Ashkelon is why was she seized? She was seized for monetary purposes, for monetary purposes. And the reason why she would be permitted is because there are witnesses that testify that she was not violated. But what do you see from here? If there weren't witnesses who were testifying on her behalf, lo, then ultimately again, we would not believe them. In other words, we, I should say, we would assume that she was violated, even though this was what? Being taken captive for monetary purposes. To which the Gemara said, My love, lo shno hurhana, velo shno nech Can we not assume that it makes no difference if a person is seized as collateral or a person is taken captive? To which the Gemara said, lo hurhana shiny. No, being taken as collateral is different. Now, also you could hear this, by the way. Even if you accept the premise that a woman taken captive for monetary purposes is not violated by her captors, you could see why a case of being taken as collateral would be different. And Allah so why a captor may violate the woman who's taken as collateral, because again, when a person is seized as collateral, there's almost like what? There's almost as if a person, the captor might feel a more justifiable, a more justifiable approach in, in violating that woman because it has a feeling of a certain level of ownership. Actually, thank you so much. It's perfect. Thank you. Thank you so much. So the Mark says as follows, Ika de Ramila Mirma. Others are supposed to contrast this ruling. And what do they say? Tanan, they're supposed to say others, so in other words, others go ahead and others go ahead and highlight it as a contradiction. Watch this. And says, Tanan, Mamun Mutaris if ultimately a woman is seized as collateral, I'm sorry, if a woman is seized for if a woman is taken captive for monetary purposes, she is permitted to her husband. She's permitted to her husband. So the Gemara says, Ormin he, hey Rabbi Yossi, so I'll say that the Gemara quotes the story. Ashkelon is an example of where the woman was seized for monetary purposes. Vikatani, and yet we learned, Taima, the Katani Taima, the Eidin, Me'idin Osa. And the only reason why she was permitted to her husband in that case, or she was permitted, was because there are witnesses testifying on her behalf. Ha ain Eidin Me'idin Osa, lo. If there were not witnesses testifying on her behalf, ultimately again she would not be permitted. And I will say one of the ways in which we resolve that is that 
One case is talking about a situation where Jews are in control, and one is talking about where Gentiles are in control. So Rabbi bottom line, here's what comes out. If you bring this all together, it appears that the Gemara does in fact accept the qualification of Rav. So here's what we have if we just condense it all together. Is the Mishnah makes a statement. What was the statement of the Mishnah? If a woman is taken captive by Gentile captors for monetary purposes, what, let's, let's define by that. What does monetary purposes mean? What does monetary purposes mean? There might be something on the Zoom side. I'm sorry, I, don't, I didn't know how to change it. Right, what does monetary purposes mean? Either, halacha she owes someone money and she's being seized captive until someone pays the debt or someone else related to her, someone else related to her ultimately owes money and she's being seized to extort the money. In that case, the Mishnah says, thank you, we could assume that she is not violated by her captors out of fear that her captors will fear that if they harm her, they won't get their money. They won't get their money. Good. That's the premise of the Mishnah. Rav qualifies that and says, when is that true? That's only true in a situation where what? Jews are feared by the Gentiles, or Jews have some level of control in this particular in this particular vicinity where the captivity is happening. So there's some level of respect for the Jew, and therefore the Gentiles not going to harm the captive because they want their money. But if the Gentiles are totally in control, right? So therefore, again, there is no fear of the Jew, and therefore, whether they harm the captive or not, they're going to go ahead and get their money. Then we would fear that the woman is violated even in a case of financial captivity. That was Rav's qualification. And the Gemara essentially went ahead and proved that point by the story in Ashkelon. What does the story in Ashkelon come to convey to us also? That there are different levels of financial captivity. That you could have a situation of a woman who is taken captive because the captors want to extort money from someone else. That's when it appears that as long as it's a situation of where Jews are in control, they won't harm the captive. But there's another case of financial captivity, which is what? Which is what? Collateral. And it seems to be that in a case of collateral, what do we have to be concerned about? That the woman would be violated. Because since in the case of collateral, the person who's seizing the collateral, i.e. the creditor, feels a certain sense of ownership and entitlement to the collateral, that in that case, even if Yad Yisrael Tekifa, perhaps she was violated. Okay, incredible Gemara. So let's go back there. Ayyadi Nafashas Asura. Now, remember again, the Mishnah went ahead and, the Mishnah went ahead and added something different, or the Mishnah added something additional, which is, that if she is seized because of capital purpose, in other words, this is either because we're going to see, let's say she killed someone and therefore was sentenced to death, or someone close to her killed someone and was sentenced to death, and she was seized as a result of that. In that situation, we assume that her captors violate her. Rashi says, Rashi explains, sorry, Gemara explains, Amarav kegon noshe gandhi. So this is very interesting. Rav says, for example, the wives of thieves. If you look at Rashi, Rashi says, Ganvi, nitlin, So Rav says, it's actually interesting. The Gemara says like this, in certain, I guess in certain areas, the Allah was that if you stole, if you stole, you were sentenced to death. You were sentenced to death. Part of the death sentence was also that what? So your property, as well as your wife, became hefker became Hefkar. So in a situation like that, the wife of a thief, the wife essentially becomes Hefkar. So someone takes her captive. Again, then, then you have to assume that she was violated because there are no repercussions for doing anything to her. So the Gemara goes right to the Gemara. An example of this is like the wife of Ben Donoi. Who's Ben Donoi? Rashi says, he was a murderer, the Elazar Shmo, apparently a Jewish murderer, named Elazar ben Donai. So we'll say, this is just a bit of a machlokis over here. So Rav says that generally thieves were sentenced to death and their wives and property made hefker. So, uh, so it comes along, Levi and Levi says, no, 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 not thieves, murderers. Murders. So the murder, when a person was accused of murder, their estate was made hefker and the wife was made hefker. So we'll say, 
they're, they're, again, they're, they're agreeing on the premise. The premise, the, the idea over here is in a situation where someone committed the type of crime where their estate and their spouse was made hefker, if a woman was seized in that type of situation, you have to assume that she was violated by her captors. Chizkiah says, but this is only for the, the husband's sentence if the husband was actually sentenced. Right? He was actually sentenced by a court. Rabbi Yochanan says, no, even if they were not officially sentenced, people still treated their wives and their property like Hefker. Okay? Well, it's incredible. Incredible. That's the sugya. Says the Mishnah. So we'll see now we come to another fascinating sugya here. So we'll see here is the situation. You have a city that is surrounded by a siege. Look at Rashi. Karkum Matsor. Matsor. A city surrounded by a siege. I'll just point out, by the way, you know, we're reading these cases as just, you know, as just halachi cases. But again, it's also the timing of it is incredible that we read these cases during the nine days where when we go through the kinnas on Tisha B'av, you know, we'll see so much of these type of circumstances <coughs> reflected in our historical reality about situations like this, right? Right? So we'll say, ultimately, again, a Klal Yisrael being disrespected, Klal Yisrael, Men, women, children being treated like chattel, being treated like property. This, this, this was the reality of our historical experience. We're reading it again, just as the Mishnah and the Gemara. But it's 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 not it's never a coincidence that coming that we learn these sugyas as well. So the Mishnah says as follows: So now you have a city that is surrounded by a siege. So what's talacha? Kolkoanos shenimtsu b'socham psulos. I would say all of the all of the wives of Kohanim who are inside of the city, become prohibited to their husbands. And I will say, remember again, a wife of a Kohen, even if she is violated against her will, still becomes prohibited to her husband. The wife of Yisrael, if she is violated, does not become prohibited to her husband. Again, the previous Mishnah discussed that perhaps as a result of sustained captivity, we have a concern that she may come to submit willingly to her captor. At that point in time, it becomes adultery. But Lamaisi here, the Mishnah is talking about something more immediate. The moment that there is a siege, we have to assume that the soldiers come into the city, violate the women. In that case, the wives of Yisraelim will still be permitted to their husbands, but the wives of Kohanim will be prohibited. So the Gemara says as follows. So what's Edim? But if these women, if the wives of Kohanim have Edim, Edim that what? Edim that they were not violated. If they have Edim, even if the Eved, excuse me, even if the Eid, even if the witness is an Eved or a Shifcha, ultimately, again, they are believed to attest to the kashros of their mistress, of the, of the wife of the coin, however, a person is not believed, a person is not believed, ultimately again to testify on their, on their own behalf. So let's say, a woman, the wife of the coin, would not be believed to say, I was not violated. And that's because the chazaka says, they were violated. So again, in order to overturn the chazaka, you could produce even, even minimal level of ados. So an ebed, a shifcha, but a person is not believed to testify on their own behalf. Incredible halacha. Bosei says the Gemara, or minhu. By the way, you also see from a Mishnah, Bosei, I just want to point out, you see, you see, from, a, you see from, a, from the Mishnah, like what the realities of war were like. Bosei, think, think about it, just, just a couple of Mishnah. This is saying, here, here you have a siege around the city. Every single wife of a coin becomes prohibited <coughs> to her husband. Well, see, you understand what that means? That, that the halacha looks at this as a certainty, as a certainty that a woman, that women were violated, that, that all the women were violated by, by, by the invading troops. And I will say, they, they had these stories in the early, you know, when, when, when war with Ukraine was still like a new story. And I say, so, so they had this in the beginning, in the beginning of the war, they had these, they had these documented stories of the Russian soldiers coming in and abusing these Ukrainian women. And it was amazing to see that, that the Wall Street Journal had a, had a whole series of articles on this about how sexual exploitation has always been a primary tool of invading armies. That, that's what you do in order to subjugate the local population. 
And, and it's incredible. I will say, so I just want to point out what this means is you have a city that's under siege. The Mishnah says every single Asia's calling becomes prohibited to her husband. Jose, what does that tell you? That tells you it's, it's not just the pshat that violation of women was something episodic. Not episodic, it was systemic. It was systemic. That, 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 that's what was, it was systemic. In fact, the assumption is that a woman was violated, unless of course what? Unless of course what? You have Eidos to the kind. In other words, I have to bring Eidos that she wasn't violated. That, 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 just like, just to understand historical realities in such a dramatic fashion, we assume she was violated unless, of course, you bring Eidos to the contrary. So the Gemara says as follows. The Gemara says, Urminu, I'll bring a kasha. Balesha Shabal the ear. So it says, this is an interesting case. Balesha Shabal say, is a troop. Rashi says, Chel al Shem Sheb Mechapsim Kalamakmunim. So I will say, interestingly, a Balashas is a group of soldiers. Group of soldiers. Why is it called the Balashas? Rashi says that that name comes from the fact that when they come in, they, again, when soldiers came in, the first thing they did is they took advantage of the fact that they were in a local town and they took everything they could. They took everything they could. They looked for all the hidden, hidden treasure. So listen to this case. If the soldiers are coming in a time of peace, Okay, then what's Talacha? Open barrels of wine are Aser, closed barrels of wine are Mutter. Then I will say, what is that distinction? What's going on over here? See, in times of peace, we assume that soldiers are going to drink. If non Jewish soldiers go ahead and partake of Jewish wine, then what's Talacha? Stamyenam, right? So any wine touched by a non Jewish person becomes unconsumed, cannot be consumed by a Jew. So we assume if it's times of peace, any open barrels, the soldiers will help themselves to, but they won't open up closed barrels. That's what we assume. So therefore, open barrels are prohibited, closed barrels are permitted. However, the Gemara says, if the soldiers come in during times of war, elu elu mutaros, lefi she'in p'nai but I will say, if it's a time of war, if it's a time of war, then what? Then all the barrels are, everything is permitted. Why? Because we assume that since it's a time of war, the soldiers are preoccupied with fighting battles and therefore don't have time to drink. But I will say, but based on that, why don't we make the same distinction by violating women as well, right? And why don't we say again, maybe if it's a time of peace, I understand that they'd be violating, but if it's a time of war, the soldiers are preoccupied with fighting war and don't have time to violate women. It was is incredible. Amrab Mari, live all yesh p'nai, l'naseich ein p'nai. And I will say the Gemara answers something so dramatic in terms of human nature. The truth is, in a time of war, they don't have time to offer up libations to their gods. So there's no fear of Avodah but in times of war, they still have time to violate women. In other words, I will say, it, it, it's, it's such, first of all, in, in general, in general, there's also something deeper that's being, that's being highlighted over here, which is, I will say, war by definition requires man to go ahead and release certain carnal instincts, right? To go ahead and go to war and fight and take life and take life. You, you have to become, you have to become to a certain degree, a bit more animal than man. That's the way it works. So I will say, this is why the, the Chizkuni brings down, after Pinchas kills Zimri and Kazbi, it's interesting, what's Pinchas's reward for killing Zimri and Kazbi? Henini no lo, brisi shalom. Really? You're giving Pinchas the covenant of peace? You're giving him brisi shalom after he just killed in a pretty, in a pretty vicious way. A man and a woman, the answer is yes. Because Cheshbarak was saying to Pinchas, you got to keep it in check. Because obviously the fact that you could do such an act of religious zealotry, zealotry and kill two people in one fell swoop, to do that, there had to be a certain animalistic side of you that was unlocked. We're going to keep that tempered by giving you Brisi Shalom. When Saul goes in under Yoshua to go ahead and, to go ahead and conquer Eretz Yisrael, they don't, why seven years? Why seven years? Why not just do a shocking awe campaign and just clear all that at once? HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, Pentirba Alecha Chayos of the Pasek. Lest the animal of the field overtake you. Which animal of the field? It's not the external animal. 
It's the inner animal. See, I will say, sometimes in life, things need to get done. But those things, when we do them, they fundamentally change us. And it's important, especially war. Especially war. Kedush Baruch Hu says, we're going to take war slowly. So that we have the ability to fight, rehabilitate. Fight, rehabilitate. Fight, rehabilitate. I will say, Kedush Baruch Hu already understood that soldiers often suffer from PTSD. Right? This is not like a new dynamic because war changes you. So therefore, the only way to do that is to rehabilitate the soldier at different intervals. So it's just incredible. What the Gemara is saying is like this. Oh yeah, during the time of war, there is no time for Avodah No time. God is put on the back shelf right first. So, so don't worry, if it's time of war, they're not offering libations from any of the war. Are they violating women? Absolutely. Absolutely. Why the distinction? It's a very simple distinction. Because the same animal, the same animal that's released to kill could often be the same animal that is released to ravage the local female population. It's, it's the same animal. It's the same animal. That, that's, why, that's why, unfortunately, again, you often see in, in war situations, these same type of atrocities committed against women. It's not, it's not an accident. It's the same animalistic push that if left unchecked results in this behavior. So therefore the Gemara goes, Very interesting distinction, the Gemara. So Rabbi says, it also depends who's laying the siege. See, I will say, sometimes the siege is being put down by, by the local army to protect the residents. Sometimes the siege is being laid in order to go ahead and conquer the city. So it's an interesting distinction. If it's the local <laughs> army that's laying siege, so to speak, to protect the residents, then we could assume that they're not violating anyone. However, however, if it's an invading army, that's when we have to assume that they are violating the Rashi says, <laughs> Okay, so the Gemara is like this. The Gemara says, fine. So the Gemara says, One second. Even Rabbi said, let's say it's the local army coming to protect the residents. Do we not assume that still some soldier from the local army, from the quote unquote friendly army, is still going to take liberties with the local women? To which the Gemara says, No, it's a situation where where the army, the local army, the friendly army, so to speak, has set up guard posts, and each guard station sees the other. So even the soldiers can't get into the city to, to, to harm the local population. To which the Gemara says, come on. So the Gemara says, Is it not possible that again, one of the guards in one of the stations falls asleep a little bit, and therefore one of these friendly soldiers is able to get in to harm the local population. First wide line. What's the case of Osai? Where the local army went ahead and did something very interesting. That by the entranceway of the city, they put chains, dogs, geese, and spikes. Now what's the top of all of these things? All of these things will alert the guards if someone is approaching. So the so I will say, so the Imar is just pointing out over here that there is an exception to this rule. Right? This is like Talmudic home security. Right? So dogs, spikes, chains, and geese. Geese. Okay. So the Imar says this as well. So therefore, again, that would be a situation where they could ensure that no one was entering the city. Again, you can make a distinction. You can make a distinction between if the besieging army is a friendly army or an adversarial army. If it's a friendly army, then you could assume they are not violating the local population. If, however, it is a if it is an invading army, that's when you would have to be concerned. Okay, so I will say, so the Gemara just suggests over here that there are really two distinctions. Distinction number one is whether or not the siege is being laid by a friendly army or by an invading army. If it's a friendly army, you don't have to assume anyone's being violated. If it's an invading army, that's what you have to assume. And even with a friendly army, 
Do you have to be concerned with the fact that maybe some of the quote-unquote friendly soldiers will still take advantage of the local population? So one opinion says yes, one opinion says no, and therefore the opinion that says yes would say that the friendly army would place all of these measures in place. The geese, the dogs, the chains, the spikes, so that they would be aware if anyone did try to enter into this city. Okay. They both say, this is fascinating. If, the, if in the city there is a hiding place, say, let's say the city has a hiding place. So if the city has a hiding place, that would go ahead and, quote-unquote, save all of the Kohanos, all of the Kohanic wives. Why? Because they both say, then we could assume that what? Each of these women took advantage of the hiding place and escaped their captors that way. Those are both say, this is, this is quite fascinating. If you look at Rashi, Rashi says over here, Tahorim, Tahorchad, Vichad, Kyasi, Lekaman, Talina, Lelemeimah. So, okay, before we get to that. So, the idea of getting Mars says is like this. If in this city there is a spot where the Aishas coin, the wives of Kohanim, could have escaped their captors, then ultimately, again, we assume that they availed themselves of the hiding spot and therefore were not violated. Incredible halacha. So, Barab what happens? They will say, what happens if the hiding spot was very small and could only accommodate one woman? One woman. So what's Ta'locha? Do we assume, I will say, that maybe each, each, each Kohanes was the one who hid? And therefore, I will say, since we look at the women as individuals, we assume she hid. Then we look at her, we assume she hid. Then in other words, we judge them each individually. And when looked at as, as individually, we could assume that each of them availed themselves of the hiding place. And therefore, they're all permitted. Or perhaps not. Perhaps not. I will say, perhaps again, once we know. See, I will say, what's interesting is as follows. In the first case in the Gemara, when the Gemara says, if there was a hiding spot in the city, we assume that all of the Kohanic wives are permitted. We must be talking about what kind of hiding spot? What kind of hiding spot? A large one. A large one. Fine. So we could assume that they all availed themselves of the hiding spot. And I will say, by the way, when we say that we could assume that they availed themselves of the hiding spot, I just want to point out that in halacha, what that means is, we don't have to ask. We don't have to ask. We make assumptions. And I will say, because all of this we're going to see is, we're making a general assumption that in this case, all of the women were violated. So say, that's the halacha, that's the chazaka. So, but that, that, that also allows us to be makel when we have something that we can hang the kula on. So therefore, if in the city exists a hiding spot, that is a large hiding spot, we can make the assumption that the women availed themselves of the hiding spot and therefore were not violated. I, what do I do in a case where the hiding spot was small? So it can only go ahead and accommodate one woman. So there are two ways. Either... I don't look at the Kohanos as a group, right? How do I look at them? How do I look at them? As individuals. So when I look at each woman's case as an individual, I can say, okay, you hid in the hiding spot. Fine, here the case is done. Next case, you hid in the hiding spot or no, or we forced to look at them as a group. And as a group, the hiding spot could not accommodate them. So the Gemara says, I don't understand. Interesting. Interesting. Why is this different than the case of the two pathways? They both say, watch this case. We've seen this case before. Two paths. Two paths. Echad, Tomei, ve'echad, Tahar. They both say, two paths. One is Tomei, one is Tahar. Now watch this. Vahalach be'echad mehen ve'asataros u'bochav. They both say, you went on one of the paths. What's the problem? What's the problem? I don't know which path I went on. They both say, by the way, what a metaphor for life. What a metaphor for life. Two paths in front of me. One Tame, one Tar. I always know. One is Tame, one is Tar. What's the greatest problem in life? I often don't know which path I went down. I don't know what I'm doing. Right? I don't know which path I went down. So what's this? Now the keys over here is like, watch this. So Ruben, right? There are two paths. One is Tame, one is Tar. Ruben went down the path. He doesn't know which is Tame, which is Tar. Now, he also was engaged with Taras. Here's the case. Reuven went down one path. Shimon went down one path. Opposite, they both write different paths. They both were right, went ahead and touched Taros after they went, and went down the path. 
So we'll say, what's the halacha? So here we go. So the Gemara says, in the Shalzebifnei Shimon ask their Shilas independently, then we could assume that what? Both are tar. Both are tar. Right? Why? Because they're both saying, again, essentially, without getting into all technicalities, this is a case of Safek Toma Birshos Arabim, Rashi explains. This is a case of a Safek Toma in a public domain. Safek Toma in a public domain is always ruled leniently. We always go Lakula. So if they come to ask their questions independently, they're both tar. Shteim Ka'achos Tameos. Have both say, if they come to ask together, then what? Then what? Then they're both Tame. Then I will say, because if they both come to ask together, then I know for sure that's what? What do I know for sure? What for sure? Someone went down the Tame path. I just don't know who. Set of doubt, I have to rule them both Tame. So the Gemara says, Rabbi Yossi and Rabbi Yossi says, Benkach u Benkach Tmein. Rabbi Yossi says, either way, both are Tame. Vam Rabbi Yitim Rabbi Yochanan, no. The Bas Achos Tevya called Tmein. If Ruben and Shemin come to ask at the same time, they're both Tame. They're both say, if they come to ask consecutively, they're both tar, because as long as they don't come at the same time, I have the ability to view each of their circum- each of their cases, what? Independently. Therefore, Ruven comes, Safek Toma Bishos Arabim, tar. Shimon comes, Safek Toma Bishos Arabim, tar. Lo nechluku ela bebalishol alav ba'achavero. Oh, this is interesting. Where does the machlokes come up? What happens if Ruven comes and he asks about himself and Shimon? About himself and Shimon, right? One opinion says, well, when you ask about yourself and your friend, that's like Reuben and Shimon coming at the same time. And one compares it ultimately to what? To one, to them coming consecutively. So I will say, so now, what, so therefore, So I will say, or maybe so in this case, so, so let's, let's come back here. So here we go, I will say, here we go. There's the city. The city was besieged by an invading army. The, there's, there's a hiding spot. There's a hiding spot in the city. Problem is the hiding spot only has room for one person. So I will say, how do we view this case? Do we look at this as a case of where each woman is coming to ask her about her status consecutively, one after the other? And if they come one after the other, then what? Then what? How do I look at that? They're all tar. They're all tar. Or... Do I look at it as if they're coming to ask this Shaila what? The Basachos. They're coming as a group. And if they're coming as a group, Rabbi will say, what has to be the Psach? What has to be the Psach? Tameyin. No different than if Reuben and Shimon went down the two paths and came to ask simultaneously that we would rule them Tamei. To which the Gemara says, to which the Gemara says, so, Umar Medamele To which the Gemara says, maybe not. The Gemara says something absolutely startling. The, the comparison is not fair. See, I'll tell you why. In the case of Reuben and Shimon, in the two paths, I know that what? I know that what? There is definitely Tumah. See, I know one path is Tame, one path is not Tame. One path is Tame, one path is not Tame. So therefore, again, it's just a question of which path is which. So in that case, it's Vaday Tumah. I will say, in this case of the city besieged, is there Vaday Tumah? Was the woman definitely violated? I will say, the truth is, the Chazaka is that she was violated. But is it definitive? It's not definitive. There's always a part, there's always a piece of us that, that, that says maybe, maybe she wasn't violated. So maybe I will say the cases aren't comparable. See, in the case of where Reuben and Shimon come to ask at the same time, they ask the Shaila at the same time, therefore what? We have no choice but to rule them Tameh because I know for sure that one of them went down a path of Tumah. I just don't know which one. So out of doubt, I have to rule them both Tameh. However, in this case, where all of the Kohanos are coming, even if you say, when it's like Bas Achos, I don't know definitively that they're Tameh or that they're Tameos. I don't know. So maybe because of that, even in this case, Halakha Lamaisa, the presence of a hiding spot, even if it can only accommodate one of them, saves all of them. So I will say an interesting, an interesting, an interesting idea. So Halakha Lamaisa, Halakha Lamaisa, just so you should know, the way the Rabban Paskins in this case is, the presence of a hiding spot in the city whether it could accommodate many people or just one person, saves the Kohanos. Because we could assume even if the hiding spot just accommodates one person, we look at each case individually, and as the cases come before us, what could we assume? 
You are the one who hid. You are the one who hid. You are the one who hid. And the presence ultimate of one of one hiding spot would save all of the women. Incredible Allah. I both say, I'll just tell you, just going back to the, to, to the other case of Shnei Shabilin. They both say, see something amazing. That Allah, what do you do in life? There are two paths in front of me. Right? One is Tameh, one is Tahar. That's always the case in life. What's my problem? What's my problem? What's my problem? I'm not, in general, what's my problem? That's a longer answer, right? What's my problem? I don't know which path is Tameh, I don't know which path is Tahar. Sirabosai, what's the halacha? What do you do? What do you do? Sirabosai, what, what do you do? Imnishal. The answer is if you don't know, ask. If you don't know, ask. Or if you don't know if the path that you're going down in life is the right one or not. So find someone who you have confidence. You know, we'll say, you know, we have a pair, we have a mission of Vasil Kharav. But we'll say the kinds of Vasil Kharav, make for yourself a Rebbe, doesn't just have to mean someone who's who's a Rebbe. It means someone in life who you trust to give you guidance about the path that you're taking in life. Ask. Because so many times in life what happens is we go down a derech, we become so vested in the derech, and I'm not really sure is this the right path or not. But I'm also not brave enough to ask. I'm not, I'm not willing to make myself vulnerable enough to ask whether it's a rav, a rebbe, or a confidant, or someone else who I look to, to say, you know what? Is this the right path? Is this the right path in life? But if you don't ask, if you don't ask, a person could continue life thinking that they're going down the path of Tara, when in fact, it is the path of Tumah. Initial, if you don't ask, if you don't find someone in life whose guidance and wisdom you respect, and you don't find the courage to make yourself vulnerable enough to ask if the derech you're going down in life is the correct one, you run the risk of spending 120 years on the wrong derech. Incredible Gemara. So the Gemara goes right there. So the Gemara says as follows. The Gemara says as follows. Uh, so the Gemara says, Boy, Ravashi. Listen to this case. What happens if a woman says, I did not hide, but I also wasn't violated? Interesting. So she comes to us with this claim. I, there was a hiding spot. I just want to tell you, I did not avail myself of it, but I also was not, I was not violated. So now, I will say, what's that law? So me, I mean, Ahmed Beis, me, I mean, and Mali Lashakir. So I will say, do we say, we'll say essentially like amigo, amigo, right? What's the amigo? The amigo was, she didn't have to say anything. And if she wouldn't have said anything, we would have said what? We'll say, play this out. She wouldn't have said anything. What would her, what, what would her status have been? Right? Totally Tahora. Why? Because we just established the presence of a hiding spot in the city saves the women. So here she's coming along and saying, I didn't hide, but I wasn't violated. So do we say, Mali Lashakir, why should she lie? Oh, Dilma, Lamina. Or perhaps, no, perhaps again, Rabosite, once she comes along and she tells us that she did not use the hiding spot, unfortunately, she, defac- she defaults back to the Chazaka that she was violated. Why is this different than the following case? Why is it in the following case? Of a man who went ahead and rented a donkey to his friend. And we'll say, watch this. Amrle, so now watch this. Ruben lends the donkey to Ruben lends the donkey to Shimon. So Ruben says to Shimon, Amrle, Lo Tazel Ba'archa de Nahar Pakot. Whatever you do, don't take the donkey by the Pakot River. Right? Why not? Because there's always flooding by the Pakod River, and if you go ahead and you take the donkey on that route, the donkey is going to get swept away by the water. Okay. So the Gemara, Zilva Archa de Narash, go by the Narash, road de la Kamaya, because there's never any flooding there. Fine. So that's Ruben, that's Ruben's, Ruben's the owner, rents the donkey to Shimon with that instruction. Ozul ihi ba'archa de Nar Pakod, sure enough, Shimon takes the donkey by the Pakod River Road, umis Chamra, and the donkey died. The donkey died. Now, what happened over here? The donkey didn't get swept away by water. What happened? What happened? Nebuch, cardiac arrest. Totally healthy donkey, right? Physical, right? Just went for his physical. Life happens, right? Just died. Donkey died, cardiac arrest, nothing to do with flooding. Aslech made the Rav. So they came before Rav. So what did Shimon say? In, I want to be honest. I took the donkey by the Pakod River Road. But, I just want to tell you, the donkey died of cardiac arrest, not Flooding. So we'll say, what's happening in this case over here? Shimon is, Shimon is, Shimon is an open book, right? Shimon, Shimon, Shimon is telling the truth. He's saying, I took the donkey by the Pakod River Road, but it had nothing to do with flooding. The donkey's dead, but nothing to do with flooding. So I will say, so Amarava, Mali the Shaker. 
The truth is we should believe Shimon, because Shimon, why would Shimon lie? Shimon could have just as easily said what? What could he have said? He could have said, oh no, 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 I took the donkey by the, by the, by the Narash road, and the donkey died there. He's being honest. And he's telling us at the end that I took it by the Pakol River Road. Maybe we should believe him. To which the Gemara says, Avamale Abaye Abaye says, Malid Meshakir Bemakom Edim Lo Aminon. Abosai, this is incredible. See, Abosai, it's almost as if there's Eidos, that there's always water by the Pakol River Road. In other words, that is such a common occurrence that it's almost as if that there's Eidos. So Abosai, essentially, we do not take Shimon's word in the face of Eidos. In the face of Eidos. So the Gemara says, Haki hashda. So perhaps we should compare this to the case of the woman as well. So I will say, so we say the same thing. When the woman comes before us and she says, I didn't hide, but I also wasn't violated. We will say that's the equivalent of this case, of the donkey case. Why? Because we'll say, simply we don't believe Shimon when he says, I took the bike by Code River Road, but there wasn't flooding. No, there's always flooding. There's Eidos there. Therefore, we don't believe Shimon in the face of Eidos. So to again, Abosai, it's almost as if there's Eidos when there's, that a woman is violated when there's an invading army. So when she says, I didn't hide, but I wasn't violated, we don't believe her in the face of the quote-unquote Eidos. What's the Eidos? That soldiers violate women. To which the Gemara says, not a fair comparison. It's not a fair comparison. Why is it a fair comparison? In the case of the flooding by the Pakod River, Abosai, there's always flooding. There's always flood. In other words, that road is always flooded. So there's Eidos, that there's an actual state. Abosai, in our case of the woman being violated by the soldiers, is it a definitive reality? And the answer is no. No. It's a probable, a highly probable reality, but not definitive. So perhaps, therefore, in that case, Abosai, when she says, when she says, that ultimately, again, I was, I was hidden, right? Excuse me, I, I, I did not hide, but I was also not violated. In a case like that, perhaps we should believe her because I will say there is not definitive ethos in that case that in fact she was violated. Incredible. So, so therefore, again, the Gemara is suggesting over here, what's the say? What you see is something really fascinating. You see a theme. What's the theme, I saying? The theme is that halacha we assume that when there is an invading army, there is a heightened probability that she, that women are violated. But yet, interestingly enough, it's a heightened probability. What isn't it? What isn't it? It's not a certainty. It's not a certainty. Therefore, when there's something that erodes the heightened probability, that'll save the women. So there's a hiding spot. There's a hiding spot. Or she comes along and she says, I didn't hide, but I wasn't violated. So she's giving like this mali shake, this migo. Whenever there's something that chips with at the heightened probability, it appears that we will believe her in that case. So I will say, oh, we'll have to stop here for today. Don't worry, we're, we're right on target. We're right on schedule. We are fine. Rest of the we'll pick up. We'll start 5.50 and rest of the tomorrow. We'll catch up. Shkoyach.